Hey, it is so good to be here. Let me tell you why it's good for you to be here. Because I, the last college, I think the last college gathering I went to was here. But the one right before that's when I met my wife. Yeah. That was like a long time ago. Sandra's here. Stand up, Sandra. This is my beautiful wife, Sandra Stanley. Isn't it great? Yes. Yeah, I got invited to, to speak over. They had a, te- uh, a Bible study on the tech campus 100 years ago, you know, before y'all were born. And, and so this guy said, yeah, come over there. I'm like, I don't know. So I went over there. And, and then afterwards he said, did you meet a girl named Sandra Walker? I'm like, well, it was Georgia Tech. There were just two girls. So, you know, <laughs> it's a long time ago, you know, so. And they were both blonde. And he fixed me up. And it was a blind date. And then, you know, we went and had deer meat somewhere at a friend's house and fell in love. So you never know. This may be your night, okay? So look around after I'm finished, okay? <laughs> hey, um, my name's Andy. It's so good to be here. I- I'm the pastor of all-, all these churches, and some of you know that, and some of you don't care, and it doesn't really matter. Thanks. My mom's here, too, over there on the right. <laughs> and let me tell you, tonight, I'm, I'm hoping tonight's going to be fun, because they didn't tell me what to talk about, so I'm going to talk about what, uh, something I really enjoy talking about. Maybe I'll make it enjoyable. Go ahead and put that first slide up here. I want to talk about your story and his story, and let me tell you what this is all about. This is, this is something I wish I had understood when I, when I say when I was your age, that makes me sound like I'm ancient. But when I was your age, uh, I, I, this is something I wish I'd understood better. This is something I've tried to help my kids understand. This is something I really, if I could just get all the Christians in the whole world in a room, and like all of them, and it'd be a big room. But if I could get all the Christians in the room and just tell them one thing, just say, okay, from now on, you know, you're going to go to church and read the Bible and hear all kinds of sermons. But if you just remember this one thing, this, this might be the one thing I wish all Christians understood. Now, that doesn't mean it's the most important thing in the world. It just means I think it's the most important thing in the world. So just factor that in. So here's what I want to do. I want to talk about these two things because in your spiritual life and your spiritual experience and in everybody's spiritual experience, now, if you, you may not be a Christian. You may be, you know, uh, from a different background, um, you know, completely different. You may be sort of something that considers yourself sort of Christian or I don't know, you, you, but you have some kind of faith. Regardless, there's, there's your story. We'll talk about that in a second. And then there's history because every single religious, major religion has some sort of history, whether it's Islam, um, Judaism, uh, the, the Mormons, uh, the Christians, everybody has the Sikhs. There's the, if you, there's this uh, the historical side to every religious movement. Now it's not very interesting, honestly. I mean, we don't pay much attention to that. In fact, if you grew up in a home like I did, a Christian home, you know, you heard the stories of Abraham and who's that and Isaac and Noah. Noah's kind of fun, you know, David and Goliath. We like that one. Then there were some that weren't that interesting. And so, you know, we kind of hear all that stuff and that's sort of like in the book of Mormon or it's in the Bible or it's in the Quran, or it's, you know, it's over there somewhere. What we're most interested in when it comes to spirituality is our story, the things that we experience, right? I mean, that's kind of how it goes. So in this, in this slot, we're going to put a whole bunch of stuff. Let's go to that next slide. Under your story are things like this. Well, God answered my prayer. Uh, I remember when I became a Christian, if you're a Christian, you know, it's, you know I was six years old. My mom said, um, you know, Andy, do you want to go to heaven or hell? Let me think about that. Let's go to heaven, okay, and pray this prayer. So, man, I don't know if that, was, that wasn't really my experience. It was really Aunt Pat. We had this kid, I was in kindergarten, and her goal was to get all the kids in kindergarten saved. It was like a Christian kindergarten, no lie. Her name was Aunt Pat. So she put us all in a row, and she sat in a chair, and she said, okay, you come up here one at a time, sit in my lap, and you can either thank Jesus for dying on the cross for your sin or ask him into your heart. Those are your two options. Come on up here. And that's how I became a Christian. So I sat on her lap. I'm like, what are you going to say? No, you know, you're six years old. So anyway, so 
So you had, you had some kind of salvation experience. Hopefully it was more meaningful than mine. You know, maybe you were a teenager, you were in college, you know, maybe it's been recent, you know. Um, this whole thing of conviction of sin, you know, like you do something bad and you feel guilty and you say, God, forgive me. That's kind of your personal story. Confession, where you confess your sin or maybe you grew up in a Catholic church. And so confession is a really important part of, of, of your life. It's a tr- tradition, it's a ritual, but it's meaningful for you. You know, maybe you've had a burden, like you're praying or you just feel like God gave you a burden. That'd be part of your story. A prompting, you know what a prompting is? Like you're just kind of mind your own business and it's like, go talk to that person. You ever had one of those? Or go give that person some money. You just sort of feel this prompting, that'd be your story. Um, Like a compelling story that kind of builds your faith. Maybe you read your Bible and you're reading along and you see something that jumps off the page. Worship like we just had. Some of you had your hands in the air, you know, if you're new. You thought, guy's got a question. Well, she has two questions. Now that's just, that's just kind of what we do, you know, and that's all right, you know. So, um, so worship is part of your personal story, and some of you just can't get enough of that. Um, Sandra and I are kind of funny in that way. We're like the two-song people. Two songs, we're good. Let's get, let's do something else now, or maybe three, okay, if we're really into it, okay. Some of you could just worship all night. You forget the preaching. Why is he up there? Why don't we have more music? Okay, that's, that's kind of your personal story. I get that. This whole obedience blessing thing, like maybe at some point in your life, you felt like God asked you to do something really hard and you're like oh it's too hard i don't want to go to that school i don't want to break up i don't want to give i don't want i don't want to and you did and then god came through and you know you get all emotional because you just felt like your life intersected with god's faithfulness so all of that is 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 your story And, and if you're a christian and if you grew up in church you got a whole bunch of these and so what happens is and we don't mean to do this what happens is this accidentally or because nobody told us any different this sort of becomes the basis or the foundation of our faith God answering prayer, biblical insight, you know, prayer, feeling something, doing something, you know, being around other people that are going, ooh, and ah, and mm. I, I have a friend who became a Christian, and he was a fighter pilot, and he was a super smart guy, and this years ago, and, um, he, and he was very intellectual. He said, Andy, I got to, every once in a while, he'd say, I have some questions about the whole Christian thing, because he, he'd say, one thing he said, what about this mooing? I'm like, what? He said, Christians, they moo. I had no idea what he was talking about. I said, what? He goes, yeah, I'm somewhere the other day. We're talking, and these ladies kept going, mmm, mmm. I'm like, no, nah, I'm sorry, John. That's just something we do. So anyway, so we all, we all kind of have our thing. And so this is part, this is really, this is a big part of our personal experience. The problem is, again, without meaning to, this kind of becomes the foundation of our faith. This, is, this sort of becomes why we believe. And when these things go away or as these things rise and fall, we feel like we're hot or cold or we're close to God or, away, or we're away from God. The problem is, the problem is, I'm just going to be just real blunt and direct, okay? And I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings. The problem is all of these things can be explained away. In fact, some of you have friends that would say they used to be Christian or they're raised in the church. They're not in church anymore. They're not Christian anymore. And, and you would maybe even say to them, wait a minute, remember when we were camp, you know, and we got saved and they explained it away. Well, wait a minute, what about that time? Remember your mom was sick and, you know, they explained it away. And all of these things ultimately can be explained away. They can be explained away in several ways. I'll give you a list. It could be groupthink. I mean, we just know if you're a psychology major or if, if you um, study human behavior, if you get a lot of people together, you can get them all think the same way and suddenly they see the same things. It could be explained away that way. The power of suggestion, this is huge. If you're a medical student or pre-med, 
This is so huge that in every medical study, they have to do blind testing and they have to use placebos because the power of suggestion is so powerful that people think, if people start to think things, they see things, they feel things, they get well, they change. This is so powerful that religious people could easily and, and do easily use this to manipulate people all the time. And so part of your spiritual, personal experience really could be explained away by the power of suggestion. Let's just close our eyes and I want God to speak, you know, and next thing you know, the air conditioner comes on. I thought that was the whole power of the wind. And I don't know. Anyway, um, then there's coincidence, you know, it's like, you know, remember you had some big giant spiritual experience. And then as you begin to drift away from God, you look back and go, that wasn't God. That was just coincidence. Or that church just had good marketing. You know, that's why. Or, or maybe family tradition. Maybe the reason you stuck the way that you did and reason that you believed the way you did is because you were raised in a family that believed that way. And so over time, if we're not careful, it's easy for our entire personal experience to be explained away. In fact, you, prob- you may have friends who are trying to chip away at your faith. And, you know, when you bring something up, they go, ah, it's this, ah, it's that, yeah, it's this, that. Or maybe you have your own doubts as you begin to wonder, you know, maybe I just believe that because my family. Maybe I just believe that because the preacher. Maybe. And you begin to wonder because the truth is, and, and you should know this, that your personal experience as it relates to your faith is very fragile. It's really more fragile than you think. Um, here's another thing to think about. We're, we're constantly looking for evidence to support what we believe to be true. I mean, okay, I'm going to really mess you up here. How many Democrats? We have Democrats in the room. You can raise your hand. Democrats. How many Democrats? Are you kidding? Like four? Really? Five, six? Well, don't be, be proud. Nobody's going to hurt you in here. Now, afterwards, I don't know. But yeah, put that hand up, okay? So Republicans have Republicans? Okay, independents, you know, libertarians. What in the world are you talking about? Yeah, okay, there you go. Yeah, most of us. Okay, now isn't this true? Let's think about politics for a second. Isn't it true that if you're like a you know, staunch Republican or Democrat or libertarian or independent or whatever you are, isn't it true that when you hear news or when you hear information, you kind of go, when, when it supports what you believe, you go, uh-huh, see there, uh-huh, see there. And then when you hear something that doesn't support what you believe, you're like, whatever, just whatever. Isn't it true that when you hear something that supports what you believe, you're like, yes, did you hear that? It's like you, because there's, we are always, all of us are looking for evidence to support what we already believe. So one of the things that fuels you as a Christian, especially when you're growing up, is you're around people who kind of all believe the same thing. And they're always pointing to the things that support what you already believe. Well, again, what if that goes away? What if, there aren't, what if you aren't surrounded by people who point out what you already believe? What if they begin to point out other things? Suddenly, that begins to undermine the foundation of your faith, if it's really just personal experience. We'll put up this next slide. The other thing is, faith is easy to maintain within a community of faith. This is something that many of you uh, faced when you went to college, and it's one, of the, it's one of the reasons it's important for you to be here. That when you're surrounded by like-minded people, it's, it's easy to continue to believe what you've always believed. But probably all of you have been in the environment where, you know, you came out of you know, a home where maybe faith was a big deal. It came out of a Christian home. You go to a fraternity, you go to a sorority. Suddenly you're far away from home and you're not in a community of faith. And all of a sudden what happens? Your faith begins to lessen. It begins to wane. It's just, it's just the nature of things. So consequently, if your whole foundation of your faith and if the focus of your faith is everything in the kind of personal column, these kinds of things begin to chip away at it. Now here's kind of the bottom line that we're going to change the subject. Faith built on personal experience alone eventually buckles under the weight of personal experience. This is just a truth. Faith that's based on personal experience alone eventually buckles under the weight of personal experience. You've seen this. You know, in fact, some of you, you're struggling with your faith right now, not because you don't think the Bible's true, but because something happened. 
because something happened that's so unexplainable. Something happened in your life that's so anti what you believed about God, and you find yourself going, how could God allow that to happen? I've always believed this. This has always been my experience. God has always been faithful. I've always thought, and now something has happened. But the truth is, faith built on personal experience alone, eventually, eventually, it always happens, eventually buckles under the weight of personal experience. In other words, there is some personal experience out there that you haven't had yet. That if your faith is nothing but experiential personal faith based on what you've experienced, there is an event out there in your future. There's a heartbreak out there in your future. There's an illness out there in your future. There's a loss of a loved one out there in your future. And it has the potential to crush your faith to nothing. In fact, you have friends. When you bring up faith or when you try to think about inviting them to church, the first thing they do is they tell you about something that happened to them and they say, if there's a good God, how could that happen? Well, what happened to them? They had a personal experience and their faith buckled under the weight of personal experience. If your whole Christian life and your whole approach to spirituality is all about just worship and insights and God said, and we had a God moment and I saw God and all those things, if that's all there is to it, although those things are so important as we're going to see, if that's all there is to it, then you run the risk of an experience in your future destroying or crushing your faith. And the second one, and this has so much to do with where you guys are now, is simply this, that faith built on personal experience alone often buckles under the weight of academic evidence. I, I remember my freshman year in college, you know, I had an, a literature class, and it was the first time I was faced with the fact that, that the Bible is literature. And so my teacher, you've had a similar experience, maybe it was in a biology class or in a, another kind of literature class, where suddenly um, we, she talked about the creation myth. And I'm like, whoa, it's not a myth. It's the word of God, you know. Honey, don't you know what's going on, you know? So the creation myth? What do you mean the creation? Creation myth? And then we talked about the Babylonian creation myth. And then we talked about all the other creation myths. And all of a sudden I discover, oh my gosh, this, the story of Adam and Eve, it's, it's kind of unique, but there's other ones. And next thing I knew, I'm like, oh no, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what to do with this. Why? Well, faith built, built on personal experience alone, it, it can be crushed by academic evidence. I mean, you know, your professors, and, and not that your professors are evil. In fact, you should never run from knowledge. We should never, ever, ever be afraid of science, ever. I mean, that whole faith and science conflict, I don't think there's any conflict. We could talk about that another night. Um, that if, you, if all you have is, this is what I experienced, this is what I grew up with, this is what I've always believed, if, then there is going to be academic evidence as the potential to undermine your entire faith. And again, maybe you struggle with that. Maybe you've seen friends walk away from faith because they learned something or they were approached with something new. So the point, let's go to that next slide. The point is this. If that's all you have, as important as all of that is, and I'm not discounting all of that, if that's all you have, eventually, eventually, something's going to come along, either an experience or some facts either an experience or new knowledge, experience or another insight, and suddenly it comes up against all those things, and that whole house of cards over there, it can tumble pretty quickly. In fact, I bet in this room somebody could tell a story about one of you, your mom or your dad. You grew up in a home where faith was a big deal, and suddenly kind of out of nowhere, your dad just walked away from the church, or your mom just walked away from the church, and you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're the one that told me those stories. You're the one that prayed with me at night. You're the one that got me to believe all this stuff. How can you, how can you just walk away from it like it's a light switch, just turn it off, and they just don't believe it anymore? Well, why? Well, apparently, 
the foundation of what they believe really wasn't all that strong. And if we're not careful, and this is why I love to talk about it, if we're not careful, this will be so foundational, and this will be basically all we have. And this results in a very, very fragile, fragile faith. All it takes is one real tough experience that can't be explained if there's a good God, or academic evidence that's just so profound and just right there and it's unavoidable and I don't know what to do with this and I can't match this up with what I learned in Sunday school. What am I going to do? And you find that you, you feel the tension that maybe you have to walk away from your faith. Now, here's, here's the great thing, and this is why I love to talk about this. The foundation of the Christian faith is not personal experience. The litmus test, the litmus test for the, the, the Christian faith, in other words, the thing that proves whether or not we should take it serious, has nothing to do with anything you have ever experienced. And so one of the most important things you can do as a Christian, or if you are considering Christianity, one of the most important things that you can factor into the equation, or if you're thinking about walking away from Christianity, you know, before you choose to do that, you need to understand and have clarity around the foundation of why we believe what we believe. And I'm telling you, it has nothing to do with anything that you have experienced. Because in this column, in this column is information that is as so extraordinarily compelling that even if you do decide to walk away from your faith, even if you do decide to live a life that's contrary to what you've been brought up with, it in no way undermines what we find in this column. So real quickly, I want to just say in some ways that maybe you haven't heard before, some things that if I could just stick these in your brain so that next time you find yourself wondering, these things would come to mind. And maybe more importantly, 10 years from now, you've graduated from college, living in a different city, got a great job, 10 years from now, five years from now, when Christianity just doesn't seem all that relevant. Some of you have already experienced that. You know, you've had great faith and you came to Atlanta, maybe you moved from a different city and you all of a sudden, you know, it, it's, not that you were, it's not that you quit believing, it just didn't seem to matter. Well, you're going to have another several stages of that in your life where you, it just doesn't seem to matter. My hope is that in the next few minutes, I would say a few things that would get so lodged in your brain and lodged in your heart and really lodged in your mind that they would become like an anchor with a really short chain that you, as you begin to drift and as you begin to doubt and as you begin to wonder and as you begin to explain away your childhood experiences as you begin to explain away what you experienced growing up in terms of your faith, that that chain would grab you and you wouldn't be able to drift too far because the great news is this. There is extraordinary reasons to continue to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And if God never answers another one of your prayers, and if God never comes through for you again, and if God is never faithful in a way that you can measure, it is still true and you can continue to base your eternity on it. And here's some of that information that I hope you never, ever forget. The first slide says this. When Jesus died, everyone expected him to stay that way. When Jesus died, everyone expected Jesus to stay dead. This is really important. And in these next few minutes, please don't hear me saying, because I'm not going to say it, but you may project this. You're not going to hear me say the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. That's not what this is about tonight. That's circular reasoning. Here's what we know. We know that Jesus lived. Very few people doubt that. And very few people doubt that he was crucified. In fact, Tacitus, who is a Roman uh, historian, talks about Pontius Pilate and Jesus being put to death. I mean, there's, there's historical evidence. Here's what the people who were there tell us. That when Jesus died, no one expected a resurrection. 
the people who brought us the story, no one was standing outside the tomb going 10, 9, 8, 7. Every, when Jesus died, everybody expected him to stay dead. Now think about this. Second slide, next slide says this. When Jesus died, no one believed that he was the son of God or the Messiah. Now this is huge. This is huge. I don't want to rush by this. When Jesus died, no one on planet earth except maybe Mary, his mother, but we don't know. But if we take Mary out of the equation, because she had that Gabriel thing, if that happens, you know. But other than Mary, but we don't know. When Jesus died, this is important. When Jesus died, no one on planet earth believed about Jesus what most of us believe about Jesus, that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. When Jesus died on the cross, no one believed he was the Son of God because sons of gods can't die. Messiahs can't die. Anyone who claimed to be what Jesus claimed to be would not be able to be put to death by the Roman Empire. And when Jesus was crucified, everybody expected him to stay dead. And when Jesus was crucified, here's what we learned. Everyone who had believed in him uh, him up until that time lost their faith. That's what the next slide says. The very people who brought us the story of Jesus admit that they lost faith in Jesus. Now, this is really important. Because when you write a narrative or when you write a story or when you write fiction or when you write something that's not true but you just want it to be interesting, there's always some kind of a hero. And this is so interesting. The very people who bring us the story of Jesus, Matthew, the very people who bring us, again, I'm not saying the Bible says, I'm just saying there's an ancient document called Matthew that brings us the story of Jesus. Mark, who apparently got his information from Peter. Peter, who was the disciple of Jesus. John, who was so close to Jesus that Jesus said, hey, take care of my mother. Luke, who said, I researched these things thoroughly. The apostle Paul, who came along later and knew all of these people. All of these people that bring us the story of Jesus because we have the story of Jesus that's undeniable. Every single one of them admit that when Jesus died, their faith went out. You know why? Because their faith in Jesus was all circumstantial. It was all personal. I remember when he said, remember when he did, remember when he said, remember how we felt. But when he died, it was undeniable he was dead and he couldn't possibly be the son of God and die. The very people who brought us the story of Jesus admit that they lost faith. They all admit that they were cowards. Peter tells us, hey, I got to just call it like it is. I'd like to be able to say I stood by Jesus, but I got to tell you what happened. I ran away. And then there was a teenage girl, and she asked me some hard questions, and I cussed, and I said I never knew him. I, I hate to admit that. If, I, if, I could, if this wasn't true, there's no way I'd make this up because it makes me look like an utter coward. When they bring us the story of Jesus, they tell us, When he was arrested, we ran away, we hid, we were fugitives, and we didn't know what we were going to do. It's interesting, there's nowhere in in recorded history and nowhere in the Gospels where the followers of Jesus said, you know what, after Jesus died, we got together and we said, you know what, we've got to keep this dream alive. We've got to keep his teachings alive. We're going to take the teachings of Jesus and we're going to spread them all over the world. There was no, no intent. There was nothing around that. There was no energy around that. When Jesus died, they assumed he would stay dead. They just assumed he was another false messiah. They had been misled. Game over. There was no mission. There was nothing to do from that point forward. So what happened? How did we get here? What was the change all about? And this is what I hope you never, ever forget. Let's go to that next slide. The same group of people, the cowards, the ones that ran away, This very same group of people launched a movement based on an event, not a theology. 
that Christianity came into the world not as a theology. I mean, there's lots of things we believe about God because of Christianity, but Christianity was not birthed around, here's the five tenets of Christianity. Here's the four things you have to do to be a good Christian. Christianity wasn't even birthed out of the teachings of Jesus. Christianity was birthed out of an event, a single event, not a theology. Now, this is extremely important because when the people who were cowards and ran away eventually went into the streets of Jerusalem and began to share the fact that something had happened among them, their message was very, very simple. And maybe you've heard me say this before, but this, when you read the book of Acts, not the Bible, we're not talking about the Bible. When you read the ancient document called Acts, A-C-T-S, that tells us what happened after the gospels, what we find is a group of people who went into the streets of Jerusalem and their message wasn't love one another. Their message wasn't, have you heard the one about the good Samaritan. Their message wasn't there once was a man who had two sons and the younger son said, Father, give. There's none of that. They went into the streets and their message was really simple. And here was kind of their four point message. You killed him. God raised him. We've seen him. Say you're sorry. That was, that was their message. That was it. These men who said, game over, what are we going to do now? We have been misled because he's dead and he couldn't possibly die if he was the son of God. They turn right around and they go into the streets of Jerusalem. Not a hundred, this isn't a hundred years later or 50 years later. This is about six weeks later. They're in the streets of Jerusalem where these events took place. And this is, this is the part I hope you never forget. Their message was not the teachings of Jesus. Their message was not the New Testament. Their message was not love one another. Their message wasn't even believe that something is true. Their message was something has happened and we have seen it. That was the foundation of the Christian faith. It is a single event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If he rose from the dead, we can trust what he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, there is no explanation as to why the very people who brought us the story of Jesus and claimed by their own words to be cowards, there is no reason that the story of Jesus would have survived the first century. In fact, one of the things I love to do is read secular and Christian writings about the growth of the early church. And the reason I love to read it, it would put the rest of you to sleep, but the reason I love to read it is because I'm always fascinated, especially by secular writers, how do they explain the rise of the church? I mean, when you study the story of Islam, the story of Islam is fascinating, but it's explainable. I mean, the prophet Muhammad claimed to be that God spoke to him, and part of what God spoke to him through the angel Gabriel was to, to, to build a people. He was militant. He was a great leader. He raised an army. He conquered. He took over caravans. He you know, built great wealth. I mean, he was an extraordinary leader. But when you read the story of Islam, it makes sense. When you read the story of, 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 you know, not the Book of Mormon, but Joseph Smith and the story of Joseph Smith, it makes sense. I mean, he was an extraordinary leader. I'm telling you, the story of Jesus, it doesn't make any sense. He died early. He was put to death by the enemy. His fans ran away. <laughs> and when they show back up, they're not even trying to spread what he taught. They're running around saying, he rose from the dead. 
Here's a little snapshot. I, I love this stuff. So Peter and Andrew and James and John, they go into the streets of Jerusalem, and there's all this, this stuff going on, and I, here, here's some of the things they said. Fellow Israelites, this is Peter preaching. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did, this is important, among you, through him, as you yourselves know. So now he's preaching, and this is right after the resurrection. He's saying, look, this isn't a mystery. I don't have to tell you who Jesus was. I mean, we're in the city where these things happen. You know this happened. He continues. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, that would be the Romans, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. In other words, when they come out of the chutes, when they come out of the box, when they first start preaching about Jesus, they are talking to the people who had Jesus crucified. And this isn't ancient history. This isn't remember when. This is, hey, remember a few weeks ago when we had that trial and the whole Barabbas thing? And you said, give us Barabbas and you know Pilate. I mean, you were there. You know what happened. He continues. But God raised him from the dead. It was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then check out their final statement. They punctuate it with this. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. That Christianity exploded onto history not around a belief system but around an event. And at the center of the preaching in that book of Acts it's all about the resurrection, the resurrection, the resurrection, the reason the cowards came to life, the reason the cowards came out into the light, the reason that we're here today is because of the resurrection. Then there's this interesting, this little um, interesting thing. Well, it goes on. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. I mean, how direct is that? That God has made this Jesus, whom, and when he says, whom you crucified, not, we're not saying the Bible says, I'm just saying this ancient document, the book of Acts, that tells what happens in the street of Jerusalem right after the resurrection, says, whom you crucified. In other words, he's like, like, you were there. Remember, Frank, you were there. I remember that. Remember, you were there. These are the people who did it. He said, God has raised him from the dead and made him both Lord and Messiah. I mean, that's, how's that for a way to start a movement? You walk out in the street and you call everybody idiots and call them all murderers. That's how we're going to start our movement. That's how it started. Now, where did this boldness come from? It's simple. When you see a man die and then you see him come back to life, you have boldness. I mean, what, I mean, what, you don't have to, I mean, the, everybody would be bold. And suddenly these cowards became bold. Then there's this little incident where uh, Peter, uh, James and John, or Peter and John are at the temple and they heal this guy and he's clinging to him and they do another sermon. Listen to a little snapshot from that sermon. We'll keep going. He says this, this is uh, Acts chapter three. You hand, look, listen to how direct they are. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disown, this is so powerful, you disown the holy and righteous one and ask that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead and we are witnesses of this. I mean, that's how you win friends and influence people, isn't it? It's like, you killed him. God brought him back to life. We've seen him. It's like, good, where are you going with this? Well, we, because something has happened. Something has happened, and we've seen it. I'm telling you, these are the first recorded sermons of the church. They're not theological. They're not Jesus said. They're not love one another. They are, something has happened in this city and we all saw it happen and we have seen the resurrected Savior. Do with it what you want and do with us what you wish. Now, what's my point in all that? My point is simply this. 
that the heart of the Christian faith is not we believe something is true. Now, this is so important if you're a Christian and as a college student, this is so extremely important. At the heart of who you are and what you believe as a Christian is not that you believe something is true. When people try to engage you in arguments about what you believe, well, I believe this and I believe this and we believe and Christians believe, okay, that's fun and that's fine. That is not the heart. That is not the foundation of the Christian faith. The foundation of the Christian faith isn't that something's true. The foundation is that, go to that next slide, is that something happened. We believe something happened. You can tell me all day long what you believe is true. That's fun. That's philosophy. The foundation for what I believe is that something happened in history. And the men and the women that saw it happen risk and gave their lives not because of what they believe. People die for what they believe all the time. They died for what they believed happened. Next slide. We believe that something happened, and then this is so important if you're ever engaging people in conversation, and it's so important as you think about your own personal faith. We don't believe it because the Bible says so. This is so important. Did you know, and you've probably heard this, and this is fun fact, did you know that the term or the phrase New Testament doesn't show up until about 250 A.D.? That for 200, over really more like 400 years, but I'll be conservative. For about 250 years, there was no Bible after Jesus. There was no New Testament. There was no, let's get Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John out. There was none of that. For 250 years, people became Jesus followers without a New Testament. How did they do that? For 250 years, no one ever stood up and said, the Bible says. For 250 years, people defended the Christian faith and never referred to the New Testament. Because it didn't exist. It hadn't even been collected. It was being written up until about 70 or you know, 80 AD. So how did they do that? Here's why this is important to you. The foundation of your faith is not the Bible. And the foundation of your faith is not the Bible says. And people can undermine the Bible all day long. And people can shred the Bible all day long. That does not touch what we believe as Christians. But if you don't know that, and you go to a freshman English class, and suddenly it's the creation myth. It's like, oh my gosh, if Adam and Eve were a myth, Jesus was a myth, the whole thing falls apart, and there's probably not even a Santa Claus. You know, oh my gosh, you know, I don't know what to do, right? In fact, go to this next slide. Discounting or disproving the Old Testament doesn't discount or disprove Christianity at all. Zero. If, if, if somebody, you know, I mean, it, I mean, the whole creation thing and how long did it take, you know, is the world, you know, so many millions or tens of millions, it doesn't matter, okay? It, it doesn't matter. In fact, when Paul goes to Athens to preach Christianity, I mean, this is about 55 AD, this is like, you know, 20 years, you know, or so after the life of Jesus, he's in Athens, and he goes to present Christianity to a bunch of Greeks and Romans who aren't Jewish and they don't care about the Old Testament. He doesn't even bring it up. He doesn't say the Bible says his whole message about God has done something and he punctuated it with the resurrection of his son. So when you sit in class or when you get in debates or people talk about the Old Testament, fear not. The foundation of your faith is not the Old Testament. The foundation of your faith isn't the New Testament. It's not even the Bible. It is an event in history that was attested to by Matthew, an eyewitness, Mark, who spent time with Peter, Luke, who researched it, John, who was an eyewitness, Peter, who is an eyewitness, James, the brother of Jesus. This is unbelievable. What would you have to do to convince your brother that you were the son of God? I'm asking, what would you have to do to convince your brother? That's right. This is amazing. James, the brother of Jesus, acknowledges that his brother was his savior and his God. What? 
Wait, 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 what? James, the brother of Jesus, becomes a leader in the church in Jerusalem where these events happened. The foundation of our faith isn't what's written. The foundation of our faith is what has happened. And Matthew attested to it. Mark, Luke, John, Peter, James, and Paul. Those are the ones that we have written records of. So when somebody begins to dismantle or rethink Christianity, the target isn't the Bible. That's too easy. The target is the reason I believe what I believe and what I believe is that Jesus literally and physically rose from the dead. And if a man can predict his own death and resurrection, I just go with whatever he says. And the reason I believe that Jesus rose from the dead is not because the Bible says so. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead because Matthew says so, Mark says so, Luke says so, John says so, James says so, Peter says so, and Paul says so. So if we're going to discount the, the resurrection of Jesus, which one do you want to start with? Because we have to go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It's not as easy as telling me, hey, the creation myth is a myth, therefore the whole Bible is a myth. Can you see how different that is? Can you see how interesting that is? Can you see how much more substantial that is than, well, I prayed to receive Jesus as my Savior, which I did too, and God answered my prayer, and one time we were in Sunday school, and one time at a camp, and all those things that are all important. I'm going to come back to those in just a minute. But the great news is this. The foundation for what you believe, the reason we're here, the reason we raise our hands, the reason we worship, the reason we're emotional, the reason we pray, the reason we trust, the reason we make sacrifices, the reasons we give, the reason we serve, the reason we read, the reason we take notes, the reason we journal, the reason we encourage each other and hold each other accountable and obey each, you know, the reason we do all of that is because something happened. And that's the foundation. And that's what should fuel our faith Every single day. Your faith is not as fragile as the Bible. Your faith is not as fragile as, you know, how many years did it take God create the world? Your faith isn't as fragile as, did, were there really two animals? Did they go two by two onto a boat? It's way more substantial than that. So let's go back to our chart. So here's, here's the point. Because of all of this, all of this matters. Because of all of this, you can continue to engage fully in all of this. Because of all of this, when you ask Jesus to come into your heart and be your savior, you can believe he came into your heart to become your savior. Not because of what you felt and not because of what you prayed, but because Jesus rose from the dead, which by rising from the dead substantiated everything he claimed. It means when you're burdened for somebody, you should act on it. It means when you confess your sin, God is really faithful and just to forgive you of your sin. That's what John wrote. And John happened to be one of those guys who looked into an empty tomb and said, oh my gosh, I've been cowering for nothing. He's been raised from the dead. It means that when you hear a compelling story, you can rejoice. You don't have to be a cynic. It means when you gain a biblical insight, you should act on it. It means when you feel something in worship, you should go with it. It means when you, God says to obey and he says, I'm going to bless you, you should obey because God's going to bless you. The foundation for all of this that is so important is this, but this is never going to be the foundation. No matter what you feel and no matter what you do and really no matter what you believe, this is what happened and this is what's true. Which means at the end of the day for you and for me and for your friends and for your family and for your skeptic friends and for your fraternity brothers and sisters who just kind of discount the whole thing with two or three sentences and move on with their life. The issue has always been and the issue will always be who is Jesus? Not is the Bible true? Not were there, was there really an ark? Not all the things in the creation that are fun to talk about and debate about. The issue is always, 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 always who is 
Jesus. And here's the fascinating thing. A single event, a single event changed how those closest to him answered that question. Before Jesus was crucified, if you had asked Peter, who is Jesus? He would have said, he is the Christ, the son of the living God. After the crucifixion, if you had said to Peter, Peter, who is Jesus? He would have said, I don't know. In fact, I don't even admit having ever met him. After the resurrection, Peter's coming out and he's saying he is the Christ. He's the son of the living God. And you can take my life. I am no longer afraid because I looked into an empty tomb. And I have met the resurrected Savior. A single event, a single event changed how those closest to Jesus answered the question, who is Jesus? The foundation of your faith is an event. It's the resurrection And we don't believe it because the Bible said so. We believe it because Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, James, and Paul tested to it and gave their lives for what they said they saw, not simply what they believed. At the end of the Gospel of John, it's so powerful. John, at the very end, he's written all these stories and told us all about Jesus. And listen to how he closes, and then we're going to close with this. He says, but these, all these things he wrote, but these are written that you may believe. He said, the reason I wrote this gospel isn't because it's just fascinating. I wrote it in such a way that I hope after reading this gospel, for those of you who weren't there when it happened, for those of you who live a generation or two or 20 after me, I hope that when you read this, that as a result, you don't just go, huh, interesting. I hope that as a result of reading this, that you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. And you know what? For many of us, we remember the time in our life when we first believed that. When we first placed our faith in what Christ did for us on the cross. And we gave our life to Christ and said, I trust that your death on the cross was the payment for my sin. And so tonight, what I want to do as we wrap this up, is I want to give anyone here that's never done that or don't know if you've ever done that an opportunity to do that. Because before I came, I just prayed like crazy. I said, God, this is so cerebral and this is so factual. But God, would you please, maybe there would be one student or a couple of students who have just been teetering on the edge of, do I take this seriously? Do I go back back to that? Do I re-embrace that? And my hope and my prayer is that something you heard tonight, perhaps combined with things you've heard in other places, would tip the scale for you. And that your eyes would be open and your heart would be enlightened. And you would say, you know what? I believe that. I believe that. I believe that. So if you would, would you bow with me in prayer? I just want to lead you in what's generally called a sinner's prayer. You don't even have to close your eyes if you don't want to. There's no magic. And if you're, if you're here tonight, and maybe while I was talking, there was kind of like a, wow, I've never seen it that way before. That makes sense to me. I want to invite you, this is so cool, to do what John said 2,000 years ago when he said, but these are written that, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So would you bow with me in prayer? And if, would you just repeat this, if that's you tonight? Would you just say, Heavenly Father, I do believe. I do believe. I do believe. I believe that Jesus is the risen Savior. And that he's not just the Savior. He's my Savior. And in this moment, I receive him into my heart. I place my faith in his death on the cross as the payment for my sin. Forgive me of my sin. Welcome me into your family. Because I believe. 
Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you for the freedom to talk about these things. Thank you for these insights. Thank you for your word. Thanks for preserving it. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you that our quiet times count, our prayers count, our worship counts, our accountability counts, our small group counts, our giving counts, our service counts, all these things, Father, that it matters. And it doesn't matter because it's our experience. It matters because it's connected to an event 2,000 years ago that changed the world. And now it's changing our world. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.